If you're connected via Facebook, social networking, some of you know about my trials and tribulation this week. <laughs> I flew out to Washington, D.C. for a, a conference, actually, hosted by Esperanza. And the last day of it on Friday was the National Prayer Breakfast, where our guest speaker was the President Barack Obama himself. Um, that was actually kind of the low light for me personally, to tell you the truth. Can I just be honest? You know, um, without going into all the details, it was, it was really good. It was really good to be at the conference. And, and essentially, it's a group mostly of pastors, Hispanic pastors who are involved in issues of advocacy and involved in issues that affect the Hispanic community. And it was really good just to meet people and hear about various issues that's affecting people throughout the country. Um, and then, of course, the last day, you know, there was like a four-and-a-half-hour prayer breakfast. We had to get there like at five to go through secret service, security detail, all this other stuff, you know. And, and we finally got in, and, and there were a bunch of speakers. Some of the speakers were uh, Governor uh, Ed Rendell from Pennsylvania, Janet Napolitano, I think that's her name, Secretary of Homeland Security, and so on and so forth, and then, and then the president himself. You know, it was, it was really interesting is... Um, and he, you know, he had a good speech and all that stuff, but it was what happened after he spoke. You know, I, I'd never been a part of something like that. It wasn't a very big room. There's a handful of us. But after he got done, he came down, like, from the stage. And these are grown men and women, okay? These are people, like, in their 50s and 60s, right? Just ran to the front. I, I almost got trampled over, actually. And I was sitting there minding my whole business, trying to take some pictures. People just, to the stage, and it was kind of, you know, and to be completely honest, I was a bit, you know, awed as well. You know, I was like, oh, that. But it was all like kind of off-putting as well, just seeing, I mean, he's a, he's a man, you know? He's a, he's a human being, and to have all these people, and, and so anyway, so that was, that was kind of the conference, and, and I'll tell you a little bit more about some of the stuff that I, I learned at the conference, but, but what, what was really interesting is uh, Friday I was supposed to fly back. My flight got canceled because apparently there was nasty weather in Chicago on Friday. That's <laughs> what so I was told. It was bad weather in Chicago. So the whole airport shut down and, and I was really looking forward to coming back home because I missed my kids. I wanted to be home after three, three and a half long days. Flight got shut down. Stayed at the airport hoping that I would get a flight back. Was told you need to come back tomorrow. Needless to say, I didn't handle it well. Anybody else, like, not handle those kinds of things well? Yeah? Yeah. So I got into it a little bit with some of the people that worked at the desk, you know? <laughs> Just being honest, all right? Just being real. It's not like it's their fault, but I got into it a little bit because I was frustrated. I needed an event. Around 10.30, 11 o'clock at night, I was in my hotel room, extra night, Wondering what the heck was happening. And it was just a simple thing, you guys. I just, you know, Holy Spirit, one of those things. Holy Spirit just kind of came and said, Peter, you got to slow down. You've got to slow down. Busyness is making you sick. I don't know about you all, but I'm one of those people, when I hear that, I ignore it and I just go. So you know what God does? God shuts down Chicago International Airport, <laughs> okay? He shuts, that's just my perspective, he shuts it down and he goes, you think you want to be busy, huh? You think you just want to keep going. You th- well, I'm just going to shut the airport down and inconvenience like half a million people. 
just for you, you know. Anybody else this morning need to hear God say to you, slow down? Anybody else in the room that resonates with you at some levels? Your busyness is making you sick. Uh, I was debating on whether I should share this or not, but I, I, I will. And I'll tell you why this is very time, sort of timely. Pastoral staff and the leadership team have known. I, after this Sunday, I'm leaving for a seven-week break, okay? Y'all won't see me. You won't hear from me. If I see you out in Chicago, I'm just going to, you know, one of these. i tell you what, I'm, seven weeks. And it's been long coming. For about a year and a half, I've sensed God say, slow down, take some time off. Slow down, take some off. And I'm taking, I'm taking this time off. And, uh, and a lot of what I'm going to share about today is so pertinent, so pertinent, um, And at the end of this deal, I'm actually going to ask some of you guys as church to pray for me as I, as I go on this because I not only need to slow down, I, 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 there's areas of sickness in my life because of the busyness that need healing and restoration. And uh, love it if you guys could pray for me. Open your Bibles to Acts chapter 13, okay? Acts chapter 13. And we're going to go ahead and, 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 and uh, go through verses 1 through 12, okay? 1 through 12. Uh, let me say some introductory remarks as you open your Bible there, and, uh, and, and, and we'll dig into this passage. There's so much here, and, and as Pastor David said last week, there's Pastor Peter's style of preaching, and then Pastor David Michael's style of preaching, and I could literally, I could literally today just go to like two verses, but I need to, I need to go finish, so we'll try to get through the rest of these, okay? Uh, verses 1 through 12, Acts chapter 13, Okay. Uh, as a point of introductory remark, here's, here's what I want to say. I want to say to you, um, I, as a pastor, one of the things that I get a lot is I get folks coming into my office and asking the question, Peter, I want to know, I want to know God's will for my life. I want to see God direct, see God guide, see God sort of, you know, that type of thing. Is that an issue for anybody today, hearing God? Okay, so some of you, okay, you could relate to that. And here's, here's something that I, I say to folks all the time. I, I say to folks, you know, can we just really be honest? The issue is not that God doesn't communicate. The issue is not that God doesn't reveal his will. The issue isn't, isn't that God doesn't want to tell us what his desire for us is. The, the, the issue actually is, is really us. The issue is that we don't want to follow through once God speaks. See, here's the thing for many of us, and I'll get into this today. For many of us, we operate when it comes to God leading directly. We operate on the principle of, God, I will <clears throat> consider it. I'll contemplate. I'll consider it. You know, I'll think about it. And, 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 and you know, afterwards, maybe I'll lose swami. But God doesn't work from the principle of when he reveals his heart and his will. God, I'll consider it. I'll contemplate it. I'll think about it. God doesn't operate it from the principle of, you know, now, if I were you. We think that's how God operates, but God doesn't. When God speaks, when God directs, when God guides, God's desire and God's expectation is action, obedience, yieldedness, surrender submission to his will. 
And the thing is, God has this uncanny ability to know when you and I are at this place of saying, God, I'm not going to just consider it. I'm not just going to contemplate it. We get to this place saying, God, I don't care if it's yes or I don't care what it is. I don't care where it is. I don't care how it is. The answer is yes. When we get to that place of God, the answer is yes. The, the one to God, do your will, no matter what, is the green light to God for him to speak, for him to reveal. And you see, here's the challenge. The challenge is not that, the challenge is not, because a lot of people say, I, I want to know God's will. The challenge is not knowing God's will, but anybody, can you relate? The challenge is doing God's will. Amen? Because here's the thing. Almost always when God reveals, it requires risk, it requires change, it requires adjustment. You and I don't like risk, adjustment, or change. Those words we don't even like. The reality of doing them, well, that's even worse. And yet, I guarantee you, when God's call comes, it will require risk, it will require some sort of change, it will require some sort of adjustment. And God has this uncanny ability, like I said, for us to come to a place of saying, God, I want to do your will, I want to do your mission, I want to do what is that you desire more than anything else, God. More than that school that I want to get into, more than my preference for where I want to live, more than whether I get married or not. The answer is yes. And getting to that place, getting to that place is a challenge. Is that true for you? Okay, yeah. So here's the deal. So, 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 so God says, when you and I get to that place where our answer and our response is, God, regardless of where, regardless of who, regardless of how, the answer is yes. I'm not just going to consider it, God, and ponder on it. The answer is yes. You'll hear God. You'll hear God. Today, uh, as we go through the book of Acts, we're going to come to a group of people, actually, who, who didn't just contemplate what it is that God was saying, but they wanted to actively participate, obedience, submission. They're at a place of saying, God, we're, we're here. And as we continue our Acts, we're going to see in chapter 13 a group of people who heard from God clearly. And it wasn't by accident. They had come to a place where they said, Lord, we're here, available, ready, surrendered. And in this place, God speaks, and the mission of God continues. Okay, brief background before we come into chapter, one, uh, chapter, chapter 13, verse 1. Luke has been outlining throughout the book how the gospel has been flowing and progressing in Acts according to the pattern laid out for Jesus, laid out by Jesus in Acts 1a. He said, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Acts, chap, Acts chapter 2 to, to, to chapter 7, the gospel is exploding in Jerusalem and is spreading like wildfire. Acts chapter 8 and chapter 9, we see the gospel venturing out into Samaria and then to the ends of the earth as an individual Ethiopian eunuch is converted by the gospel. Acts chapters 10, we see conversion of Cornelius, a Gentile centurion. By the way, the conversion of Cornelius is the longest conversion story in the book of Acts. Significance? You bet. It's the longest conversion story because it's Acts chapter 10 that God is making clear via Luke. The gospel is now spreading. In a global fashion, to all people, pay attention, Cornelius. And then Acts chapter 11, the gospel goes to Antioch, church is planted. And Acts chapter 13, 
There's a vibrant, thriving church in this Gentile city of Antioch, and they will be the base for strategic missions that will affect the rest of the book of Acts. Verse 1. Acts chapter 13, verse 1. In the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Herod Antipas, and Saul. Now, remember, you guys, brief recap from two weeks ago, when the gospel goes to Antioch, something profound that had never happened happens. The gospel proves its power to, to, to bridge racial barriers, ethnic barriers, cultural barriers, class barriers. And in the book of, and the church in Antioch, for the first time, people were crossing these barriers to come together, forming what Paul calls in the, uh, in the Pauline epistle, a, a new humanity, a new community of God's people. And these people start worshiping together. And as we said two weeks ago, remember, this multicultural, multi-ethnic, multi-socioeconomic church wasn't just the result of conversion. It became the cause of conversion. The watching world looked at them and said, how is that even possible? We have never seen anything like it. People of different culture, ethnicity, and race actually crossing boundaries and barriers to worship together as one people of God. And it became part of the communication of the gospel. People saw that and said, there must be something to this. And there was. Paul later goes on to say in Galatians chapter 3, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither male nor female, nor slave nor free. The gospel is a great leveler of human distinctions that our society has put. The gospel comes and levels racial superiority. You cannot embrace the gospel of Jesus Christ that says, you are a sinner saved by the grace and grace alone. And every sense of racial superiority about who you are of others. Class superiority comes to an end. Gender superiority comes to an end. This profound aspect of the gospel crossing barriers not only touched the larger church, but you notice it touched the leadership of the church too. Look at the names of this church. I love this. I love this. Some of you guys that have studied the book of Acts, this insight here has been one of the more powerful insights for me. Uh, there's Barnabas, who was what? He was a Jew, right, from the island of Cyprus, and we know all about him. He's gotten enough press, so we'll just move on. Next is Simeon, called Niger, which literally means black. In other words, he's a black African. That's a part of this church. Next is Lucius, who's from Cyrene, also North Africa. So we have a third part of this leadership team that's also African. And then the most interesting, intriguing character is Menaean. Who is Menaean? Menaean is, do you see what the Bible says? A foster brother of... Herod Antipas. Now check this out. Here's what's happened. Menaean is of royalty. Here's how it happened, okay? Royalty, kings and rulers at that time, often adopted children, okay, sons, that would be raised with their sons. And Herod the Great, remember, Herod the Great, his son is Herod Antipas, and David preached on him. Herod Antipas, remember, is a guy that had John the Baptist beheaded. He's also the guy that oversaw the, 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 the crucifixion trial of Jesus. Here's Herod Antipas. He's also the guy whose kingdom comes to an end dramatically, okay, as he, he's eaten by worms and dies. Menaean is his foster brother who grows up in the court of Herod the Great, Herod Antipas. Think about the sovereignty and the grace of God. You got one brother who's opposing the kingdom of God and doing these things and eventually gets killed. In the same family, there's another brother who will become a key leader in the church that will start this global revolution for the gospel. Isn't that cool? And then there's Saul. Who is Saul? We know about him. Pharisee of Pharisees. In other words, he would have been a guy that would have had nothing to do with a guy like Menaean, part of the government, part of the oppressive regime. 
And he's also an academic, a scholar, a professor. The leadership of the church in Antioch is multicultural, multi-class, even multilingual. This is a fascinating, fascinating picture of a church that we see. And by the way, let me ask you a thing. Do you think they argued? <laughs> Nate, do you think they argued? Do you think they had uh, uh, disagreements? Come on, come on. You have, you, have, you have Peter and Paul, okay? Two Jews, okay? Two Jews who came from a similar background, except the only thing was, remember Saul or Paul was a little bit more educated, you know, Pharisee of the Pharisees, and then you had Peter, fishermen, so a little bit, you know. You had these guys who couldn't get along, okay? Do you think this group fought? Of course they did. They argued. They fought. But here's the thing. They also would have benefited in amazing ways because of their diversity, How? Two ways. Number one, their leadership effectiveness. One scholar says, here's what probably would have happened with these guys, okay? Their sense of of sort of uh, how they perceive the world, how they went about their values, their priorities, their so on and so forth. These these thoughts, these things that are actually lying in the subconscious, they would have cross-pollinated each other. They would have affected each other in such a way that together as a group, they would have been able to see much greater sense of the need as well as the opportunities of the larger Mediterranean world that was very multi-socioeconomic, very multicultural. There's a group of people that have been able to together say, you know what, more than a homogenous group, they would have been able to say, it's not just those needs. I know you have a passion for those. Not just, it's not just those needs. You have passion. It's, it's all of these and their various perspectives, even in their disagreements, would have made them much more effective as leaders. Um, we, we've seen this happen also in our leadership team, you know, uh, you saw Katie, Katie, Katie this morning lead the children's ministry. Uh, I, I appreciate Katie very much, but I also appreciate her husband, Julio. Julio has been part of our key leadership team, our board of our church, for the last year, year and a half. Okay? I got a chance to visit Colombia twice now, and I'm going back in July at some point. Here's the thing about Julio that some of you guys might not know. Julio comes from Colombia, and he shared his family background with me. I met his parents who are incredible people, and it was a joy to meet them. Got to learn Spanish. Got to learn Spanish. I know, Sandra, because there was no translators. I was like, Julio, you know, one of these <laughs> felt like an idiot. Michael, remember you were sitting there. It was very hard communicating. Julio's father was a farmer, okay? And his father grew up, his, his family, he grew up, his father made like a dollar a, a week, a dollar a day, okay? Comes from that background. Julio then goes on to the major city, goes to a great seminary, great school, He's in the States going through seminary. He's going to go back with Katie, uh, with Katie, Lord willing, to plant the church. Julio is part of our leadership team. I'll tell you how Julio just has affected all of us as leadership team, okay? Whenever there's budget issues and budget concerns, right? Things about where do we prioritize our money? How do we go and prioritize our money? Many of us in our leadership team, we come from similar socioeconomic educational backgrounds. Immediately when there's talk about where to prioritize, I look over to Julio and I want to go, what do you think? Just by his presence, his experience, him speaking up, he keeps us grounded in many ways and saying, we want to be wise, good stewards of what God has given us. I mean, I can go on and list a bunch of examples of how that kind of a thing has happened throughout our leadership team. Principle, real quick, much more, much more than a homogenous group, people from very different groups who could agree on a common goal, who could agree on a common goal, I think is far more creative and far more effective as leaders. 
than one made of similar people. So leadership effectiveness of this group. Secondly, is corporate spirituality. Corporate spirituality. What do I mean? You guys have heard me say this example before. C.S. Lewis has one of the best illustrations of how a diverse group of people gives us a sense of corporate spirituality where we learn more about God than we would if we were by ourselves or people of the same culture, ethnicity, and class. C.S. Lewis has two good friends. One is Charles and the other is Ronald. Ronald, by the way, is J.R. Tolkien. Charles eventually passes away. And, and C.S. Lewis writes this interesting, 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 interesting insight in his book, The Four Loves. He says this. He says, in each of my friends, there is something that only some other friend can fully bring out. By myself, I'm not large enough to call the whole man into activity. I want other lights than my own to show all facets. Now that Charles is dead, I shall never again see Ronald's reaction to a specifically Charles's joke. For from having more of Ronald, having him to myself, now that Charles is gone, I have less of Ronald. See what he's saying? He's saying there are certain things about, each, about people that only other people who are not like us can fully bring out. And by the way, if you're married, you're in a serious relationship with somebody, you know about this. You think you know your spouse. You think you know them inside out. And then all of a sudden, you put them in a different context with different people. You sit there going, well, hello. <laughs> Anybody else? All of a sudden, there's different person. I won't even go into my wife, okay? All of a sudden, there's these things about the other individual. Going, I've been married to you for 11 years. I've known you for 16. That was there? There are things about other people that other people unlike you in interaction could bring out. Now, check this out. C.S. Lewis saying, if that's true of human beings, what about God? What about God? That means that when it comes to God, it comes to God, if we know one Christian really, really well, then we're not going to really, really know God very well. It's going to take knowing and being in community with and being intimate with a large numbers of people from various backgrounds who bring out things of God, if you will, that only they can bring out, that we can stand there and say, whoa, check that out. That means very practically, let me be straight. If you're praying with only one kind of people, ethnically, culturally, racially, or even socioeconomically, you're fellowshipping with one kind of people, you're doing community with one kind of a person, that means you're not going to know God very well because there are multiple facets and sides of God. It's like a beautiful diamond that, 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 that a light penetrates. And looking at it in different facets and different sides, you go, whoa, that's beautiful. Whoa, that, whoa, whoa question are you in community with different kinds of people that's enabling you to see different sides of god different facets of god that you would never see on your own i'll just give you a small example again with a leadership team one time this was last year or so there was a season in which actually it's like same today major major violence via gang activity and number of people were dying there's a group of people that were praying, right? And there's a number of us who were praying for justice, God. We want justice to be done, so on and so forth. And one of our leaders had the audacity to start praying for these gang members. Forgive them. Speak to them. Extend your grace and mercy. Me, justice guy. Me, you get what you deserve guy. She's praying on behalf of them. And I just listened and I said, God, I would have never considered or thought about even praying for them. Of course I should pray for them. Are you praying with? Are you worshiping with? Are you in community with diverse kinds of people? This is why, you know, if you're new to our church, when we talk about diversity and new community, 
Dude, it goes, dude. <laughs> it goes, I'm sorry. I said dude a lot in D.C., okay? I was going to go, dude, Barack. It goes way, 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 way deeper. Multiculturalism in our church, you need to know. Then, boy, doesn't this look really pretty on Sunday? It goes to the extent of saying, who are you in community and deep relationship with? Verse 2. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and they sent them off. Okay. We're going to park right here for a little bit, okay? <laughs> We're gonna, I'm just warning you, going, how long? We're just, I'm just warning, okay, two, two verses, okay? Don't worry, don't worry, it's significant stuff, okay? Now, Luke indicates that the Antioch church, look at it carefully, look at your Bibles, look at the screen if you don't. They didn't come to this concept of strategic missions as a result of their seeking it directly. Do you see that? They didn't gather together and go, okay, we want strategic missions for what God wants to do. Uh, what do they do? The Bible says in verse 2, while, everybody say while. Everybody says while. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting. In other words, the most natural reading of that is this isn't a special season of prayer for them. This isn't a special planning, strategic planning session. They're just going about what? Their daily routine of what they do. They're just going about, you know, what they normally did. What do they normally do in this church? They what? They fasted. They prayed. Listen, listen. Here's the principle. The principle is not the special seasons of prayer is not important or that deliberate planning is wrong. You know, I know some churches, we don't need to plan. We just follow the Lord. That's not us. We strategically plan. We spend seasons in prayer. But check this out. What we learn from this church is that what seems like special prayer season for us Special prayer time for us was routine for the church. What seems like extraordinary commitment to prayer and to fasting was just a normal everyday routine thing for them. And it was in the context of while they were going about doing their routine daily thing that God reveals his mission, his heart, his goal for them. Are you listening? Are you listening? There's all kinds of ramifications for how powerful, powerful this is. I, throughout this sermon series, I've had a number of people come and say, you know what, I want to know what God's mission is. I want to know, I have a clarity about the fact that I'm at the right place. I want to get up in the morning, have a purpose Monday through Friday. I want all these things. And I want to go, there's no secret to it. There's no magic silver bullet to it. It's about wild, going about daily, going about regularly, going about routine of what a follower of Jesus Christ ought to do. I'm going to talk about something that some of you are like, oh, I want to talk to you about spiritual disciplines. Oh, not popular, I know. If I were to ask you, what do you think about spiritual disciplines? Many of you would say, That's right. You would say nothing, right? Many who say nothing because what you would say would be like, you don't want to hear, bro, what I have to say. When we think spiritual disciplines, many of us grew up in church back and we think legalism, right? You're praying, you're reading your Bible, are you fasting, are you doing it daily? Have you done your quiet time? Have you done your devotional, right? We're thinking, ah, oh. we think 
spiritual disciplines, and we think legalism, we think religion, and yet the Bible says, listen, one of the powerful ways, the most powerful ways that the Holy Spirit works and conforms us to the likeness of Jesus Christ is via what? Say it with me. Spiritual disciplines. I know this isn't going to be popular for the next five minutes, but I need to go and talk about this. Katie, preach. Anybody else preach? Okay, because you need to hear this. Listen, listen. Spiritual disciplines. Two things about spiritual disciplines. That's, I want to I, I be able to kind of, you know, deconstruct. One, spiritual disciplines are not meant to enslave us. When we think spiritual disciplines, we think structure. We think, you know, we think, I have no words, but you know what I mean. We think, bam, we think, you know. But listen, listen. Okay, okay, illustration. Anybody ever learn an instrument? Okay. I, I, I took violin lessons for like six months. Okay. Okay. Many times for me, six months was like the thing. I took Taekwondo lessons for like six months. I did violin lessons for six months. I've dated women and date broken. Six months is just kind of like this thing, right? I'm just being honest. Six months, okay? I had to learn violin when I was 10 years old. Imagine a 10-year-old. I've got, you know what you have to do? You have to do the scales, right? You go, literally for the four, five, six months, the teacher says, have you done your scales? Let me hear it. Can I move on? Nope, nope, do the scales. I'm at home two, three hours, and you know what it feels like for somebody just picking up the violin for six months, doing the scales? It feels like torture. Torture. Absolute Torture. Do you know what happens, though, eventually? The disciplines. And this is why spiritual disciplines, by the way. Disciplines, the root word, it shares the same root word you realize as disciple. Discipline, disciple. Disciple of Jesus Christ is somebody who is committed to spiritual disciplines. Patterned after the example of Jesus. Here's what happens to somebody who gets the disciplines down. Same thing for a musician athlete. You eventually reach a period where now it's not enslavement. It leads to what? Freedom. Have you ever heard Isaac, is it Itzhak Perlman? Have you ever heard him play? Do you know what that is? That's not. Why? Why? Have you, have you, ever, have you ever heard a grandmaster pianist play? It's freedom that a novice would never know. Christians and spiritual disciplines is not to bind, bind. It's so that it would lead to a life of, say it with me, freedom, greater freedom. Second thing, spiritual disciplines, we don't do it to earn God's approval. Can I just say that? It's not so that God would love us. God already loves you. God loves you whether you read your Bible or not. God loves you whether you pray or not. God loves you unconditionally, and his feelings for you don't change when you don't fast. God loves you regardless. Spiritual discipline. You need to hear this. Spiritual disciplines. For many of us that have been just turned off by it, because we've got this religious, I got a legalistic. Spiritual disciplines is done by God so that we don't have to do them. We what? We, we get to. We get to do them. I don't have to kiss my wife. I don't have to love my wife. I what? I get to. You don't have.
have to do it to earn God's approval so that he would think highly of you. He thinks very highly of you, child of God, regardless of what you do. We get to do these things. We get to love God. We get to worship God. Hello? We get to fast. We get to pray. We get to spend time in his word. We get to. I don't have to. We get to. We get to. Spiritual disciplines is an awesome privilege. Amen? Oh. Okay, so real quick. Spiritual discipline. So three things, and then I'll move on. Intentional prayer. Intentional prayer. How are you doing? How am I doing? Ask yourself evaluative questions. Many of us are fond of saying this. We pray without ceasing. We always pray. And I love this churchy, religious. We bathe everything in prayer. I go, what you, how'd you bathe everything? I was driving to Dominic's, and I bathed that sucker in prayer. I was doing my homework, you know, and music wasn't quite doing it for me. So I bathed. What we call praying constantly, continually bathing, what do we do? It's an afterthought, hello? That we put way behind the more important things in life. I've come full circle on this. I've got to admit, there was a time when I said, intentional prayer time is legalistic. You know, it's, it's, it is, and it's unhealthy if you insist that it's the only way to maintain spiritual maturity. It's the only way to seek God. However, from full circle, in the modern life that we live of constant hurry, constant busyness, constant, constant noise, and constant distraction. It is absolutely critical to our soul that you and I set aside nothing else, set aside no one else, set aside a time where we commune with God. (laughs) I really wasn't expecting this response to this. I was expecting everybody to go, I don't want to hear this out. Is this resonating with you? Hmm. Because it's resonating with me. Your pastor needs some time to intentionally be alone with God. I have not done well. I have not done well. And it's making me sick. Intentional prayer. Prayer will recalibrate your soul. Prayer will center and anchor your soul. And you, some of you have already heard this. Prayer doesn't change God. What does prayer do? Prayer changes us. Intentional prayer is not to go to God with the list of things and saying, I need you to do. Prayer doesn't change God. Prayer changes us. And we take that list and we rip it up and say, God, Secondly, devotional scripture reading. Do we even do this anymore? (laughs) Do we even do this? Devotional scripture reading. You know what we have? We have our pet verses for our pet issues. Anybody? Do we have times in which we're seriously drinking deeply from God's word, delighting in the amazing, amazing revelation of who he is and what he has done? 
And do we find ourselves in God's word with the mind and attitude, listen, not of information, I need to learn more, but the goal is not information, the goal is transformation. We want to be changed by God. And, and for some of you, just real quick, if you're looking for a devotional guide, please don't look at guides, you know, with an alphabetical list of topical things. Do you know why? Because that's our attitude towards the Bible. We use the Bible to serve our purposes. Instead of doing that, Realize that the Bible serves us best when we submit ourselves to its authority and say, God, speak. All of it. So what I would encourage you, if you're going to get devotional, get a devotional that will take you daily through a book in the Bible, or better yet, here's what I would always encourage, try and read through the whole Bible, Genesis to Revelation, within a year or two years, and learn to get the whole counsel of God. Okay? And not just, I'm tired today, fatigue. Fatigue. What does the Bible say? Fatigue. You know, I feel confused today. What does the Bible say about confusion? I feel anxious today. What is it? Third, joyful fasting. Hello? Joyful fasting. Everybody say joyful. Joyful fasting. And I'm not just talking about food. Oh my gosh. Guilty as charged, you know. I'm not just talking about food. We live, we live in a society of big gulp. Do you know what people from other countries say when they walk into a 7-Eleven and they see Big Gulp? They say, is that for a family? (laughs) We live in a world of consume. We live in a, satisfy every appetite you have. And it's not just about food. It's, It's overindulgence in TV, in movies, in radio, in social networking sites. We live in a world of water cooler talk. We live in a world of gossip columns. We are feet. We are inundated with all these things, and many of us aren't even sensitive in reality to the reality of what's going on. You know what has happened? Our sensitivity to the Holy Spirit has been dulled. Our hunger and thirst for God's word has been eroded. We are so freaking full of so many things that we don't even know what it means to hunger after God. Joyful fasting. Not just from food. In a culture that says, indulge, 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 the gospel of Jesus Christ comes and says what? Deny, 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 deny. Die, die, die. I'm going off of Facebook, (laughs) y'all. Do you hear what she said? Leah says, you're not even on it. Oh, I'm on it enough to check up on you know who's going on. (laughs) Will you pray for me, and I will pray for you. As I pray and fast for you and the church while I'm gone. I'm going to be praying that the very things in which God needs to do work in me. <laughs> Is your pastor saying this to you, okay? I need to learn and relearn how to pray intentionally. Time set aside. I need to learn what it means to go back and to hunger and thirst after God's word and be more committed and disciplined about being in the word. And third, 
to be sensitive and aware of the inundation of everything that says consume, consume, consume. And not just say no, but to say yes. To say yes. To living simply and to saying yes to unimportant things and realizing what they are and being committed to the important things. Amen? I hope this resonates with you today. Verse 2. I know I already read it. Just, just stay with me. Where should he have been fasting? The Holy Spirit says, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called him. So after they had fasted and prayed, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. There's two things that I want to real quickly say, and then we're going to look at the big chunk, okay? Number one, please realize that the call to the mission, call to what God has called them, came in the context of community. It wasn't an individual saying, God told me to do I get real nervous. I get real nervous in a church community when somebody comes and says, self-revelation from God. God told me to do this and I'm going to. I get real nervous about that because the biblical way that we see is it's a group, a body, a community of believers coming together and saying, we affirm you. We see God doing that in you. We see God's calling on your life and we bless you and we send you off on that. Do you see that? There isn't so individualistic, lone ranger mentality of I'm going to do what I want to do. There's this context in which people come together and they're praying and they're seeking together. In the context of community, God speaks. We need to learn how to listen to the Holy Spirit better in the context of community. We need to learn how to go about the mission of God together better in the context of community. Amen? That's all I'll say about that. Here's what I want to say. Here's what I want to say. Note verse verse 2. No, verse 2. Listen very carefully to what the Holy Spirit says. The Holy Spirit says, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Now, check this out, you guys. I need to make note of this, okay? That's all the Holy Spirit says. There's no mention of where. There's no mention of how. There's not even a mention of exactly. Do you see that? Do you see it? By the way, some of you go, well, but, but weren't certain things in Acts edited? You know, like we don't have all those sermons. It was edited. It could be, but you look carefully at this first and then the rest of Acts and you see that God speaks very clearly for direction. Acts 16, do not go there. Go there. Here, God simply comes, Holy Spirit says, here's all I want you to know, okay? Set them apart. God, but where? How? How? Anybody find that a little frustrating? Of course you do, because that's us, that's you, that's me. God, when you speak, 10 years, and how each year is going to go, and the program for what, and God, and, and, and God comes along and says, following me, I'm not going to show you the whole map. I'm just going to show you a step at a time, step at a time, step at a time. Do you know why God does that? Because God is a lot more interested in you discovering him, and not just his will for you. But I'm so frustrated because I want to know five years from now, ten years from now. I want God to give me clarity. You know what? The Christian life isn't about point A to point B. And God, you show me how to clearly get there. Because once God does, many of us say, thank you, God. I'm okay from here. 
The reason why God doesn't show the, is this resonating with The reason why God doesn't show is because you and I have a tendency to go, what's the mission for my life? How is God's call for my life? And what are the exact final steps that I can go? Because God says, each step along the way, I am way more interested in the fact that you discover me, that you become more like me, that you learn to seek me, that you learn to depend on me, rather than just getting to the point that you want to get to. And so God comes along and says, just uh, set apart those two. Don't worry. I'll show you the rest. And we don't like that. But because God loves you too much, and he cares more about you discovering him than just his will, God will say, is that enough? Yeah, Lord, I'm going to be faithful to that. Okay, next step. It's coming. Except it's, it's coming. It's coming. Um, one other real note that I want to... Um, God's will. I don't know if this is related, so you guys could conclude for yourself on, on why. I, there's, there's this fascination in the evangelical Christian world to like know definitively and clearly what God's will is. You notice? Know so I get a lot of people in my office going, Pastor Peter, I want to know, should I stay in Chicago or should I go to another city? Anybody ask that question? Raise your hands. Y'all smiling. Of course you do. There's like half of you. You're constantly moving in two years, right? Should I stay in Chicago? Should I go? And they go, should I, Chicago, Miami, Chicago, LA, or Chicago, Oklahoma City, Chicago, where? And I'm going, why do you want to know? And you know, people say, because they go, I want to know God's will. I really want to know. And you know, I go, okay, so listen to them. I listen to them. And I say this, I go, is it really about you wanting to know God's will? Or is it that you think if God clearly revealed his will to you and you follow that will, that A, things will go really well, that B, you'll not face hardship and trials that see there will be no suffering and difficulties and d that life will go (laughs) right is it really because you know what i look at god bible following god's will hardship following god's will trials following god's will suffering listen not wanting to suffer not wanting to go through hardships is human thinking that we don't deserve to is unchristian And it's unbiblical. So next time you come to me and go, I really want to know, is it this city or that city? Is it this school or that school? Make sure you've thought through enough and saying, your will be done, even if. Does that make sense? Yeah? Okay. Okay. That's okay. All right. Let me put up a quote that's been really, really helpful for me. Okay? I I didn't come up with it. I don't know who said it. So you guys can give credit to whoever said it. Okay? I do not get to know God and then do his will. Say it with me. I do not get to know God and then do his will. I get to know God more deeply by doing his will. Follow him day by day, moment by moment. And God will show up big time. God will show up. Verse 4. The two of them sent on their way, we're almost done here, by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues, and John was with them as their helper. Now, verse 6. We come to the most fascinating part of this story, okay? 
Verse 6 on, we come to the most fascinating, most important part of this story. And here's why this is important. Luke has been saying throughout the book of Acts that the mission of God is continuing. The mission of God is advancing. The kingdom of God is going forward and nothing can stop it, right? We've been seeing that. David preached on that last week. The kingdom of God, the mission of God is advancing. And Luke has been also careful to say, when you do that, there will be opposition. When you do that, there will be hostility. When you do that, there will be forces arrayed against you. But, Acts chapter 1-8, you have all authority, all power. Do not fear. And here's what happens, verse 6. They traveled through the whole island until they came to Paphos. There they met a Jewish sorcerer and a false prophet named Bar-Jesus, who literally means son of salvation, who was an attendant of the proconsul Sergius Paulus. The proconsul, by the proconsuls are essentially the acting governor, okay, the acting sort of head of state for these colonies, and was an intelligent man sent for Barnabas and Saul because he wanted to hear. Everybody say hear. Hear the word of God. But Elymas, the sorcerer, for that is what his name means, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul from the faith. Then Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit. Fourth reference, if you're counting. Filled with the Holy Spirit, about the spirit of this chapter, looked straight at Elymas and said, you are a child of the devil. Apparently, Paul didn't get the message about evangelistic preaching. <laughs> Or secret sensitive preaching. Okay. Paul playing, Paul, you know what Paul is doing? He's playing on Elias' proper name. Bar Jesus literally means son of, son of salvation. And Paul is saying, You ain't no son of salvation, Bar Jesus. You are son of the devil. You are Bar Devil. And then enemy again, not very secret sensitive. I would never do that. If it, okay. Uh, any of it, that's right. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? Now the hand of the Lord is against you. You are going to be blind. And for a time, you will be unable to see the light of the sun. Immediately, mist and darkness came over him. By the way, mist and darkness coming over him was a medical term that literally said to go blind. Okay. Mist and darkness, remember Luke's doctor, came over him and he groped about seeking someone to lead him by the hand. When the proconsul saw what happened, he believed, for he was amazed at the teaching of the Lord. Again, we see deed ministry going forward to open hearts and the word ministry going forward to explain what happened. Okay. What's going on here? What's going on here? I want to end with this. Why is Sergius Paulus such an important critical thing. And why is Elimus, the sorcerer, why is he so intent on disrupting this ministry? Is it because he doesn't want to lose his job? Perhaps. He has a very good living. He's in the royal court. All he's doing some magic tricks, you know, so on and so forth. He's getting a pretty good living. And he says, I don't want to lose that. Probably not. What I'm going to share in the next five minutes or so is going to be a little do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do for some of us. Because we live in a culture where we do this to spiritual world, Satan, demons, angels, so on and so forth, we either say they don't exist, that's nonsense, that's stupid. Or we live in a culture, actually, that is overly fascinated with it in a different way. Tarot cards, astrology, mind readers. C.S. Lewis said it best when he said the mistake we can make when it comes to the spiritual realm is that we make too much of it, thinking there's Satan behind every cough, every... or. We neglect it altogether. I have lots of conversations with many of you who are at that place are going, I don't know about those spiritual warfare, Satan realms, so on and so forth. Here's what the Bible says. The Bible says that what's happening here is not just in the visible world of Paul against the sorcerer. What's happening here is much deeper. What's happening here is much greater. What's happening here in the invisible world, listen, is the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light coming to confrontation. 
What's happening here is in the kingdom of darkness and region where people's hearts and minds are blinded, the kingdom of light, the kingdom of Jesus Christ, the kingdom of God is penetrating this world. It is penetrating the darkness and opposition is arising on the surface. It looks like a magician who's saying, blah, 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 so that he doesn't hear the word. But in a deeper end, what's happening is the kingdom of darkness is coming against the kingdom of light. How many of y'all believe this? Okay. What's happening is the kingdom of darkness is coming as kingdom of light. It's not just about salvation of one very influential man who could open the door to salvation of many, many people. What's happening here is this incredibly critical, powerful truth that what's happening here is kingdom of darkness is being invaded by the kingdom of light, kingdom of Jesus, kingdom of, 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 of God, and the kingdom of darkness is fighting back. Kingdom of God, kingdom of darkness is opposing the work of the kingdom of God. Jesus Christ says that Satan came to kill and to destroy. Ever since the fall of man, Satan has been at work in this world, creating, corrupting, perverting God's good creation, not just in human souls and individuals, but we see his perversion, his wickedness in institutions, in systems, and creation even itself. Jesus said that Satan came to kill and to destroy God's good creation. Why did Jesus come? Did Jesus come just to save our souls? We could be forgiven of sins and go to heaven? Hear Jesus' words to why he came. Listen, in, in, in Mark, Matthew, if I drive out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. How can anyone enter a strong man's house, a strong man or Satan, and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man? Then he can rob his house. So here's Jesus describing what is happening in Acts 13. This region is held captive by Satan and his kingdom. And Jesus Christ and the gospel of truth is invading this kingdom, his storehouse. And he's taking plunder. First John chapter 3. Here's how he, John said it. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. By the way, that's a really great place for amen there. Amen? amen. To destroy the devil's work. Jesus Christ came not just to save us from our sins, but to destroy the devil's work. The perversion and the wickedness that Satan has been doing since the, very, since the beginning, since, since the time of the fall. The Bible says Jesus Christ has come in his death and resurrection. A cosmic battle was fought beyond the human eyes. A cosmic battle between kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of life and it clashed on the cross and Satan and all of his dominions said we won for three days and on the third day the kingdom of God in its fullness and the kingdom of God with its palpable life arose and has been at work establishing his rule his reign his authority over all things are you seeing this are you imagining this you know what the result of that is great news here's the result Colossians chapter 2 when you were dead in your sins and uncircumcision of your sinful nature God made you alive with Christ he forgave all our sins amen having canceled the written code with his regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us he took it away nailing it to the cross and having everybody say disarmed Say it with me, disarmed, disarmed the powers and authorities. He made a spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Is that good news? Satan has no authority. He has none. He has been defeated, the Bible says. He has been disarmed. He is weaponless. He is powerless. Now here's the key. 
That doesn't mean that he still can't wreak havoc. That doesn't mean that he still doesn't work. That still doesn't mean that he's going to come. But here's how Satan works. Very, 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 very important and how Satan works in the kingdom of darkness. He has been defanged. He is powerless. He has been defeated. So what does a defeated one do? He uses deception. He lies. So when you hear the voice of God as a child of God, God doesn't love you. How can you do that if God loves you? That Satan coming and saying, believe this lie because when you do, impotence as a child of God. Do you hear? Do you see it? You're working hard to change systems and institutions. And Satan says, there's nothing that I can do. The kingdom of God is advancing. But what does he do? Deception. None of that matters. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? You're going to go up against who? Give it up. Don't do it. It's worthless. It's not worth your time. Do you hear the voices? He doesn't, he uses deception. He lies. Why? He knows he's defeated and there will come a day when he's going to be defeated once and for all and the kingdom of light, the kingdom of God will rule and reign in all authority. That's great news. That is great, 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 great news. Child of God, child of God, if you're somebody sitting there and you've been deceived, you're sitting there going, you'll never change. You'll never change. You'll never kick that sin. You come against the lie with truth and say, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I am a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. Truth. When Satan comes and says, that person will never believe the gospel. Are you kidding me? People don't respond to the gospel. Who does that these days? Come against that in truth and saying, God will open their hearts. The kingdom of God is here. You need to know this. I was thinking, what's the last thing I could leave to the church before I leave for my seven weeks? And that is this. Even if I'm gone, and especially because I'm gone, God will work even more powerfully and will continue. It's not about me. It's not about any pastors in this church. The kingdom of God is here and he is advancing. Amen? He is advancing. He is advancing. So let me leave you with this. Let me leave you with this. Go and put up the... There is no advance for the gospel without a position. Expect it. Don't be naive. Don't be naive. Where there's a move of God, when you get serious about God, where there's a move of God, mission of God, and you are going forth, there will be opposition. There will be difficulty. There will be closed doors. There will be people who will persecute you. Matter of fact, the degree to which you experience those things will be the degree to which you know that you are right where God wants you to be. Expect that there will be opposition. There will be enemy. God, God has given us his assurance. Next. Stand on the promises that the victory has been won. Don't give up. Listen, can I just say this? The sermon title today should have been, don't give up. Don't ever give up. Why? The gates of hell will not prevail against the kingdom of God. Amen? The gates of hell will not. Listen, we know what the score is at the end. We know how this game ends. We know what the deal is. We don't have to sit and wonder, what's going to happen? We already know what ends. Amen? We know how this deal ends. So the motivation is to say, God, I am not going to give up. I'm going to persevere. God, I'm going through this thing right now. Some of you, addictions. We started Alcoholics Anonymous group in our church. Wonderful ministry. And there are men and women that are coming to that. And they're going through times where they go, God, I feel like I, feel like I can't. I, I can't. Remember, don't give up. Don't ever give up. The kingdom of God is inside of you. I've been witnessing to that person and there's just no response. What's there? I feel like I'm hitting my head up against a brick wall. Don't give up. Don't ever give up. 
I'm teaching at this school. We've been talking a lot about teachers because y'all need to be refreshed before you think about going back in September. I've been teaching and God, I don't know if I'm making a dent. I don't know if anything that I'm doing is making a difference. Kingdom of God is advancing. Don't give up. Don't ever give up. Don't ever give up. Don't ever give up. Some of you are fighting for issues of justice and evil in this world. You go on every hungry child, every homeless person. You said they're going, God, I don't know if I could continue. Say it with me. Don't give up. Don't ever give up. Kingdom of God is advancing. There's another point, but I, I, I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop because I need prayer. I need prayer because the very two truths that I just told you guys about are the two truths that I need for me. I'm preaching to myself this morning. Can you tell? That's not why I'm screaming. I'm, I'm preaching to myself this morning. I need to be reminded this morning that when we are fighting this warfare, listen, you don't wear armor going to the beach. What are you doing? Are you awake? Are you alert? Are you on vacation? And please, don't come up to me there and go, enjoy your vacation. It ain't going to be no vacation. Trust you and me. Vacation is lying on a beach, sand somewhere with a nice tropical drink that looks blue sometimes, red sometimes. That's vacation. You know what I'm going for the next seven weeks? Every day for the next seven weeks, I'm going to get up. And guess what? Satan, Satan, Satan. Warfare, warfare, warfare. Listen to God. Listen to God. Listen to God. Praying for you. Praying for you. Praying for you. And pray that I come back strong. I, I, we got communion. We got to do that. But I just want, I need prayer. I need prayer. So here's, here's maybe how we can do this. Um, Michael, I'm going to ask you to kind of say the final prayer. But can I, can I just ask some of you guys, and please don't come up just because, oh, the poor guy, he just looks so pathetic today. God. <laughs> you know, don't come up because of that. No, I want you to come on up, and I want you to pray for me. Lay your hands on pray for me. If in the midst of this prayer, in the midst of the whole sermon this morning, I'm, listen carefully, in the midst of this morning, you heard the Spirit say to you, you got to pray for your pastor. you got to pray for your pastor. If you heard that this morning, I want you to come up. I want you to lay your hands on me. I'm just going to be, I'm literally going to be prostrate, okay? I don't, have, I don't even have the energy to knee. I'm going to be prostrate before God. So I need you guys to come Put your hand on me and pray for your pastor. And then I'm going to have Michael, after a little bit, pray. And then we're going to do communion. Okay. The night that he was betrayed, Jesus took bread. And he, when he had given thanks, he said, this is my body broken for you. Whenever you take it, do it in remembrance of me. And then he took the cup and he said, this cup is a cup of the new covenant, the blood of Christ. That reminds us that we do not go before God because we're righteous, because we're good, or because of our efforts, but because of the perfect sacrifice of the Son of God on the cross for us. And today, as we partake of communion, for those of you who are hungry, those of you who are thirsty, those of you who are longing for more, as we have various folks that will be up here, prayer team, pastoral staff, praying for you, please come up. Share your prayer requests with them and pray for them before you leave. The Lord invites us to his table, his table of grace, his table of complete and utter satisfaction, his table 
of total mercy. Whenever you're ready, come forward. Whenever you're ready, come forward. Will you all stand with me? The worship team is going to lead us out in this final song. And and I just want to pray for you as you pray for me. God, thank you for this powerful truth that you have won the victory. Thank you that the outcome is not in doubt. Thank you that we don't have to wonder about what the outcome will be. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has died, has risen, conquered Satan, sin, and death, and reigns and rules today. He reigns and rules today. We don't have to wonder. We don't have to doubt. That truth is our anchor. And as we leave as your people, pray that we will leave in boldness and in courage and in hope for you are with us and you go before us. Spirit of God, Holy Spirit of God, will you do this with me this morning before you sing this song? Put your arms out, put your hands out, leave your palms open wide, lift your hands up to the God as a sign of yieldedness, as a sign of surrender, as a sign of utter and total abandonment to his will. As our children taught us this morning, not my will, but yours be done. Make that the desire of your heart this morning. Make that the desire of your heart this morning. And you won't be able to shut God up. He will speak. He will guide. He will lead. He will direct. You are a dangerous person in the hands of an almighty God. Totally yielded, totally abandoned follower of Jesus. Give your life to him. He is with you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Happy Father's Day. (laughs) We clap. Happy Father's Day. Have a great week. Pray for me as I pray for you. Okay? Be useful for his kingdom. He loves you. He's going to do great things through you. Have a great week, you guys, and we'll see you.